Hey there, and welcome back to The Pickle Jar. This is Jill, your host, and thank you so much for joining me today, because today is a very special episode for a couple reasons. First of all, this is episode 100. Can you believe it? Episode 100. In the short time, The Pickle Jar podcast has been here. We are already at episode 100, and it's just absolutely incredible, and it just blows my mind every time I think about it, and I cannot thank you enough because it's been because of you that the Pickle Jar podcast is making a difference. And I thank you so much for sharing the podcast and tuning in and listening to these episodes because honestly, this girl is learning as she goes. She just jumped in with two feet into the Pickle Jar podcast because I believe it was so important for us to come together as a community and that it was a great platform for us to do that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I cannot thank you enough. So this is a special introduction that I'm putting before the episode today. So you're going to hear the episode start in, in a few moments, um, but today's episode is so special. It's so inspiring, and if you need that hope, if you need a little bit of spark put back into your fight, I know this episode is going to give this to you. I am so grateful for Haley for joining us today, and I have a special message at the end of the episode as well. I'm just learning my editing skills, and I'm just you know moving forward and learning as I go, so um, bear with me. So there's a special message. So after the conclusion of the episode, I hope you still keep listening. And again, thank you so much for joining me. And I know you're going to enjoy this episode with Haley. It's the eye of the tiger Haley's champion fight with Addison's disease. Hey there, and welcome to the pickle jar. This is Jill, your host, and I'm so excited to bring you this story today to bring you Haley's story. It's so inspirational. She's 26 years old and has been living with adrenal insufficiency since the age of 21. And I just can't wait to share her journey with you because I know with all of our guests, all of our journeys are so unique, but they are so so similar at the same time, and they validate everything that we are all going through. And that's so important. And that is what the pickle jar is all about. So Haley, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story with our audience. I truly, truly appreciate it. So thank you so much. Um, so what I would like to do is I would like to get started first by you just, you know, kind of starting at the beginning. When did you notice? When did you discover or did kind of the the bells and whistles, kind of the sirens go off in your head that something, something was changing, that something just wasn't right. You were young, you were 21, you know, kind of at the prime of your life at school, looking forward to your future and things kind of took a turn that you obviously weren't expecting to happen. So, so let's start there and, and share with us um, anything that you're willing to share with us. For sure. So I was, I ended up being diagnosed with Addison's disease in November of 2017, my junior year of undergrad of college. I had been sick months prior to kind of that official diagnosis. Um, and I remember even that summer leading up to November, um, everyone kept on commenting on my Addisonian tan <laughs> that we did not know was an Addisonian tan because I was always usually more darker than the rest of my family always had that tan and could tan super easily. But this summer in particular, I got super dark. Um, and people are like, what were you doing? And I was like, I was maybe in the sun, like an hour or two kind of thing. And I just appeared so dark. Um, but for the months leading up to it, I was just beyond sick. Um, 
I was unable to keep down food. Um, and so I was going to multiple different doctors for anything and everything to try to figure out a diagnosis and figure out what was going wrong with me. Because prior to that, I had been your generally healthy, I guess you could say, individual college student kind of thing, just had the random illnesses that would appear around college sort of thing. Um, but I just could not get well, no doctor could help kind of understand or really give me a diagnosis of what was happening until after I kind of went into my crisis. And then all the doctors are like, yeah, I should have suspected Addison's disease kind of thing. Um, but I remember the week prior to my diagnosis, I had gone on a trip um, to Mammoth Cave for one of my classes. It was a national parks class and we were um, touring the cave. And I remember being so sick there kind of thing. And I ended up going home that following weekend um, before my diagnosis. And I just didn't have any energy. I couldn't walk. I would get super tired, super fast. And I was always in high school had been an athlete, participated in different sports and would walk to campus and just walking to campus, the time doubled or tripled even because it would take me so long without getting like super lightheaded or feeling like I was just going to pass out on my walk to campus. Now, how scary was that for you being away at school, away probably from your family and to be experiencing this and not getting any answers from the medical community. And um, like you said, you were 21, you were at the prime of your life. This was extreme, extreme symptoms, extreme behavior that was not normal. Um, do you remember how that felt being, you know, not knowing what was going on in, with your body? It was super scary. And I remember kind of always just like doing like check-ins with friends or with family members. Um, just because they had noticed a change in me as well and was like, she just doesn't seem well. And I remember the night before my diagnosis, I was a nanny for um, a family that parent worked at the university that I was attending. And afterwards, the mom told my mom, like, I should have never let her go home. I knew something was wrong that night and that it wasn't going to be good that following day because she just wasn't her usual self, didn't have the energy she usually does and was kind of just feeling more sluggish than usual. And I had noticed myself taking a lot more naps um, and just like physically being tired, like doing something and then being like, all right, I have to nap. And this wasn't just like, a nap. It was that deep sleep kind of thing where nothing's going to wake you up for several hours kind of thing. Um, and so that was super scary because it was something that I wasn't used to and was someone that used to never take naps before. So, well, and I think with any chronic illness, we slowly develop it over time too. And depending on how quickly our symptoms come up, you know, things can change and, and we slowly get this new normal that we don't realize until it's extreme, like what you were experiencing and how scary that is. And I think it's a great reminder of, you know, that state that a lot of us get in pre-diagnosis, you know, to put that in perspective when, you know, we're treating our condition and we hit a low cortisol day, that it's, it's a very similar experience. It might not be as extreme, but we need to be, we need to listen to our bodies because those symptoms are definitely there's screams from our body for help. And your body was screaming really loud at the end for you to get for some sure. help. Right. So, 
Um, but it's great that you had, you know, family and friends that were, were at least acknowledging um, that something wasn't right. Because a lot of people go through this journey without that acknowledgement. So that's great that you had that love and support right from day one that, you know, this isn't our, our Haley and we're really concerned about it, but we just don't know what's going on with her quite yet. So um, so that next morning, what happened that next morning when when things got, you know, very drastic with your condition? For sure. So from stories that I've heard, I, well, I was completely unconscious. So, and I was on a ventilator machine for six days and in the ICU for um, nine plus days and spent over 20 days in the hospital or around 20 to 19 days in the hospital. Um, and it was just very traumatic. I remember I had texted, um, my boyfriend now husband at the time, um, throughout the middle of the night, like random messages, but they didn't make coherent sense. Um, but I, that was my way of letting someone know that I was in trouble, but I wasn't even able to like call or call 911 or anything like that. Um, so he had come over that morning from what I've been told and kind of had checked around the apartment complex that I was living in to see if someone had potentially broken in to my apartment and didn't see anything. So he went about his day because he had to attend class. And then after he finished classes, he came back to my apartment complex. And that's when he found me unconscious in my room um, and called 911, had the ambulance come and um, that whole calling my parents and everything to let them know that something had happened as well. Cause obviously my mom was doing daily check-ins with me at this point. Cause I wasn't doing well, but I hadn't answered her check-in kind of thing. So she kind of had that feeling that something was wrong. And she was, I think about to actually get ready to head over to where I was in college from her house when, my boyfriend then called her at that time um, and let her know. And the ambulance driver and EMT drivers who came and picked me up, I actually ended up visiting, visiting them after I had gotten out of the hospital a couple of months later. And I remember the ambulance EMT driver stating to me, I'm tickled to see you alive. I didn't think you would make it through it kind of thing. Um, and that really stuck with me and is something that I've had to use to learn to listen to my body. That way I avoid having Addisonian crisis to the severe that my Addisonian crisis was that put me on a ventilator for five to seven days, completely unconscious as well. No, you're right. And that's a harsh reality that, you know, something that you have to hear from somebody to think that they they really didn't think you were going to survive mm -hmm. but it's also something very important to um to remember about this illness is how serious is it is and how fragile it can be so that um because I know personally speaking from my personal experience with it is sometimes it becomes invisible to me and we have to be reminded about how serious the condition is so um now leading up into that hospital stay like you mentioned you had hyperpigmentation um you had the weakness, what other symptoms did you have? Did you have the salt cravings, any weight loss, anything like that, that you were experiencing as well? That's common. So I had some of those common symptoms and I also had, I actually ended up losing my hearing prior to my diagnosis, not completely, but I do wear hearing aids in both ears and they actually 
The doctors believe that was due to the Addison's going undiagnosed for so long and my body just like not knowing how to fight or recover any illnesses that I had. Um, I lost probably by the time I got out of the hospital way over 30 pounds um, just because I had gone so long prior to diagnosis of really being able to keep food down. I had tried... I apologize. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I had tried to keep food down um, and had switched different diet diets, um, gone on soft food diets, had done the celiac disease. Um, I had been diagnosed with celiac disease as well. Um, and so I was trying a bunch of different diets and um, different things to try to help me and nothing was really helping me. I had GI issues. So I was seeing stomach doctors to try to figure out if there was something um, like related to my small intestine or to my stomach that was having problems or gallbladder issues or whatever it might be. I was definitely having those salt cravings um, where you kind of feel like you could just eat a salt shaker, basically, <laughs> of things or yep. a whole jar of pickles or olives or whatever it might be. Um, and I also would pass out or like feel really lightheaded and have to sit down immediately because I knew if I didn't sit down that I would collapse on the ground right then and there. Right. And it sounds like they went through, like you said, you had GI issues. And I don't think um, we've mentioned yet that um, that you have celiac disease, correct? correct? Right. And that was diagnosed before the Addison's disease. Um, but yeah, it, it's a dealing with a chronic illness and not feeling well, it's a process of elimination of, okay, this is the symptom, go to the most common things and slowly work your way down the list. But unfortunately for you, they didn't get to the proper answer before it became into a drastic state. So um, while you were in the hospital, how did they finally diagnose you and say, hey, you know what? This beautifully tan person <laughs> who almost died, um, how did they finally discover, hey, she's got Addison's disease? So it was definitely a lot of different trials and tribulations throughout the whole experience. At first, because I was a college student, their first suspect or first line of what's going on with me is that I was on drugs of some sort kind of thing. And so it was a lot of questioning of individuals who were coming to visit me at my hospital whether it was my boyfriend or my parents or other family members that I had there. Um, and they were obviously that first day giving me anything and every medication that could potentially keep me alive because they had told my parents as well when I had arrived at the hospital that they didn't think I would make it through the night. Um, and so they were giving me anything and almost everything to kind of keep me alive. And so it wasn't until I would say, probably, if I remember correctly, and my mom's brain remembers as well, around the day six or seven that I was officially diagnosed with Addison's disease. Um, but they had given me cortisol throughout um, the time and I would get a little bit better. And then they would stop it because they didn't think that's what it was. Um, and then they saw a steep decline as well. Because when I got admitted to um, the hospital, my blood glucose levels were also very low at that point, because I had probably been unconscious for they were expecting over 12 hours at that point. So just my body's way of not necessarily coping at all. 
um, because they believe they don't know this for sure. But the way my body was, they had imagined I went unconscious that night before around 11 or midnight. And I didn't get to the hospital until later that afternoon, that next day. Wow. And so they were just really trying to give me all the medications. And it was the cardiologist that I was seeing because I was having heart problems at that time of diagnosis and ended up being put on a heart monitor and the endocrinologist kind of working together. And that's how they kind of came up with the idea that I had Addison's just because they noticed anytime I was on the cortisol, I would get better. And then they kept on running those lab results and noticing like, okay, they're really low when she's not right. getting it, but they're normal or getting to the normal point when she is receiving that cortisol. And so that's how they figured it out. But it was about seven days in the hospital before they definitely figured out that diagnosis. Wow. Listening to you say that you were, they figure you were probably unconscious for 12 hours. Just like, honestly, it brought tears to my eyes because I'm like, like, yeah, like that's, that's scary. So I can only like that for me, like you mentioned what the paramedics had said about, you know, the way they saw you and what they thought when they saw you that they didn't think you were going to survive. They didn't tell, you know, and they told your, your parent, your family that they didn't think you were going to survive the night. And then when you just mentioned 12 hours of unconscious, like to me that just the picture I had in my head, it just got even more real for me. And um, so, you know, tears to my eyes that you became that close, but also tears of, you know, joy that you survived it. And it's just another testimony of how strong our bodies are and what they can fight through. And your body was able to do that. Um, so it sounds like as they were just, you know, goal number one was trying to keep you alive. Um, and they were treating you with hydrocortisone with, you know, with steroids and just, they noticed an improvement every time they gave it to you. And when they thought you were, you know, kind of probably turning that corner that you didn't need it anymore, they took it away and your condition got worse. And then that led to your, your di official diagnosis of Addison's disease. Um, and then, so, and yes, and what you mentioned about um, the drug use, that's a very common thing I've heard too from speaking to people that, um, you know, and like you said, it was your age. It was, they profiled you for, you know, you're, you're a student, you've lost a lot of weight. Often a common re reason why people probably do that and end up in the ICU, unfortunately, is probably drug use. So they had to obviously rule that out first. Um, so once you were diagnosed, what happened after that? So when I was diagnosed with Addison's prior to even leaving the hospital, I was then diagnosed with Graves disease as well. So I had multiple kind of diagnoses at that time. And I now feel like I have all the autoimmune disorders <laughs> potentially possible um, just due to other things that I've been diagnosed mm -hmm. with since having celiac disease, being a type one diabetic having Graves, Addison's, and then the thyroid cancer that later came much later in diagnosis as well. Um, but after diagnosis and getting out of the hospital, it was a lot of scary, definitely times. Um, I wasn't used to it. I went to go live with my parents because I obviously wasn't fit to live by myself or live with roommates kind of thing in college. And I was no longer able to complete my um, college classes at that point. So I had to take a break from the university as well. So I went to go live with my parents. And I remember just having that fear of like going to sleep. If I did go to sleep, 
would I wake up again the next morning kind of thing, just because that's where I was in the situation when I was first initially diagnosed, I went to sleep and then didn't wake up for several days afterwards. So that was always a fear. And I feel like it's still a fear that I have sometimes when I'm not feeling my greatest and have those cort low cortisol days of like, all right, let's take some extra cortisol. So you don't have to worry about kind of waking up the next morning. No, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that's something, you know, because personally, I didn't get that ill. I, I didn't go into a crisis when I was diagnosed. And I, I have those fears because uh, I've, you know, read stories on Facebook of different, you know, different things of when people have gone to sleep and, and not woken up. And, and I'm so glad that you brought that up because I'm sure some, you know, somebody in our listening right now possibly has, you know, experienced, you know, something very similar to you and a dramatic crisis when they were diagnosed. And that's something personally, I never thought of like kind of the post-traumatic stress of dealing with that and how real that is. And that it's, you know, it's another obstacle that you have to get over and to deal with and learn how to manage. Um, but like you said, you've learned to deal with it. If you have that fear, if you think you're low, you know, it's critical to updose and to, you know, to follow orders kind of thing and to take care of yourself. So I'm so glad that, that you did mention that. Um, so how did, do you remember how, once you started treatment with the Addison's, how you started feel like, how did that recovery? Cause your body was so, so near death and went through so much. Um, do you remember approximately like time frame it took for you to get your strength back and how you started to feel once you started treatment with hydrocortisone? So I was attending when I got back to my parents at um, house, I attended physical therapy for at least three days a week because I had to relearn how to like the ability to walk again. I was sent home with a walker um, when I was diagnosed kind of thing. And I was like, I'm 21 years old. I'm not using a walker kind of thing. I had to learn um, just to like regain some of that strength that I had lost in the hospital. Um, so I, that was in November, I returned back to school in January, um, but I was only part-time and some of my classes were online as well. So definitely not what I was used to prior to taking that like 18 hours of credit hours each semester kind of thing. And it was a huge transition, but I would say it definitely took me, I would say probably a good six months maybe to continue like grow back that strength and be able to have that energy. Cause I noticed that I would still be like taking the naps or be super mm -hmm. tired throughout the day. Um, just have that. And I also was on a heart monitor as well. And so I wore a heart monitor for three months post diagnosis and being home from the hospital that would, if my heart were to stop, it would kind of just shock my heart back into beating correctly again. Um, and I remember even going back to classes, like, I remember multiple times, like having to go up a flight of stairs. Mm -hmm. And whether that was at my apartment complex or getting to a lecture hall or whatever, and I would be out of breath for a while. And my heart monitor then would start beeping at me like, okay, your heart rate's accelerating too fast kind of thing. Um, And so that was definitely a good three months that I definitely felt those um, super like tired fatigue, like not necessarily lightheaded, but just feeling weak. Um, and that I couldn't necessarily do the things physically that I had been able to do prior and, to diagnosis. And I think that's great to mention too, because all too often, cause I'm sure 
I'm going to assume probably if they tested your blood cortisol levels at those times, it probably would have indicated that you were normal levels, but it shows how even if our blood cortisol levels and our treatment, you know, kind of on paper is, you know, what they think it should be, our bodies might not be there. We might still be experiencing low cortisol symptoms and your body was definitely in a recovery mode. And, and man, you're my hero just for going back to school in January <laughs> because, because that, that was, I'm sure a really big feat. And probably at the time you probably, just, you wanted to get back to life. You're, you're on the recovery page. You wanted to get back to your goals and your ambitions. And, um, and I'm sure it probably tired you out doing it, but at the same time, it gave you something positive to focus on and motivation to get better too. Cause sometimes we need something to, to, to pull us to get, get us up and out the door kind of thing some days. And this definitely is an illness that we need to sometimes jump in and we need to learn as we go. And you started learning right away by getting back to your life. Um, now the heart monitor was because was there heart issues then after the crisis that they were concerned about then, right? That yeah. So there was heart problems that came after diagnosis. And I had been diagnosed with a prolonged QT during that hospital stay. Um, and I had also developed, I missed or didn't say this earlier, but I had developed blood clots in my legs as well during my crisis or during that stage of being unconscious. But like you said, I really wanted to get back to that normalcy or what I thought could be that normalcy, because I feel like my diagnosis with Addison's had completely turned my life around kind of thing. And I was wondering, like, why is this happening to me? Like, what did I do to kind of get this, um, not be able to be that college student that I had been kind of thing, um, or be that 21 year old being able to go out, hang out with friends and feel like I just felt like I constantly had something like holding me back. And that was definitely the Addison's. And so I felt like for me, going to school was something that was going to get a little bit of my normalcy, my sense of who I was back. Um, and so that's part of the reason why I decided to go back super early, although it probably <laughs> wasn't my parents' biggest <laughs> thing that they liked to hear sort of thing. But they also wanted a little bit of that normalcy as well, because as people with Addison's disease know, hearing that diagnosis and not necessarily knowing what Addison's disease is super scary. And then like hearing all of the symptoms or the things that come along with Addison's and watching out for crisis and things like that is definitely scary. And I know within the first, I would say probably six months, I was probably in the hospital at least once a month, kind of just getting cortisol, whether that was because I would end up getting sick um, to my stomach and then I wasn't keeping my medication down. So then I would go into a crisis, not nothing like the crisis that I originally had, but where I wasn't able to keep food down or drinks down or kind of just going in and getting those extra steroids that my body needed. And I remember several times different people coming with me to the hospital and then just being like, once that IV cortisol kind of hit, they're like, the light came back to your yes. face kind of thing. You looked like a different person and not necessarily like a zombie. Like I could feel, I could know that you were automatically already feeling better. And that, you know, I, I shared this on a podcast once and my sister's been one of my biggest advocates coming with me to the hospital when I need IV steroids. And, 
And last year when I was really, 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 um, really sick and she was with me and she actually sat there and she watched me and she did, she asked me, she's like, you must be feeling better. She's like, yeah, all the lights came back on. You can just see that life come back in. And um, I think it's one of those things, if you haven't experienced it, you, you just, it's just incredible, I think, to watch and for and we can feel it, right? I'm sure you can probably you can feel the difference. We can all feel the difference with Addison's disease when when we finally get the medication and the cortisol back into our body, how that life kind of comes back in. Um, so you're experiencing monthly crisis um, once you were kind of released from the hospital. And then but at the same time, you were also able to complete your education, get your master's degree and um and now you're using an infusion pump to treat your Addison's disease. So tell us how that kind of came about. So um, the infusion pump came around. It was in 2019. Um, I had recently graduated from my undergrad and was going off to um, my graduate degree. Um, and I needed a new endocrinologist. And so my sister and my mom had definitely done all of the research they could um, since diagnosis. Um, and they were the ones that kind of brought up the idea just because they had noticed how much better I had gotten when I had crises or crisis and would get the IV steroids that like they're, I just had more energy kind of thing. And so I had gone to one endocrinologist and absolutely could not, um, would not recommend him to anyone with Addison's disease kind of thing. Um, he had actually taken me off of all of my medication for over 24 hours because he wanted, he didn't believe the diagnosis of Addison's disease just due to it being so rare. Um, and so I had get, gotten taken off of my hydrocortisone, the fludrocortisone, and I just felt miserable going into that 8 a.m. blood draw kind of thing. Um, and I was like, there are, I had even given him all of the paperwork from previous endocrinologists from the hospital saying, I was like, all right, I definitely have it. Just <laughs> go with it kind of thing. And so I was like, I'm going to find a different endocrinologist. And I did research on different endocrinologists around the area that I was attending school. And um, I ended up finding an endocrinologist that I went to go see. And I sent her all of the paperwork about the pump and different things, different studies that had been done in Europe and yep. stuff that I had found on um, the National Adrenal Disease Foundation's website of like pumping and what it can do kind of thing. And she was more than willing to kind of listen and do that for me. Um, and so it was definitely trials. Um, and it's not something that just happened overnight kind of thing. It took months to be able to get that process started um, with her getting someone like a rep for me to be able to do a pump and then getting the medication as well. But it's definitely been life changing. No, that's incredible. And the fact that... Um... I think you said the endocrinologist had no experience with this, but was willing to look into it at least. And that's, in my opinion, that's, that's all we can ask them to do to start is like, let's look into it. Let's explore it as an option. And, you know, good for you for not being happy with, you know, the one endocrinologist and saying, Hey, I'm going to find a new one. And what you mentioned about them taking you off your medication and questioning your diagnosis, that's something else I've heard 
repeatedly from people that it's a very common thing and using the terms, well, it's so rare, it can't be Addison's disease. Well, somebody's got to get it. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And not, you know, and, and acknowledging that, like you said, you, you sent the paperwork, you had the documentation and, um, and had the proof, but they were putting your life at risk by taking your cortisol away from you. Um, which is, which is very, very scary. Um, so once you got approved for the pump, um, I think, I think you had mentioned to me before when we talked, um, before the podcast, um, that you were able to get insurance coverage for it, correct? Correct. So I had some insurance coverage. It wasn't fully covered. I had to pay a certain amount for the Omnipods. I'm on the Omnipod system, um, currently. So I had to pay a certain amount to be able to get the Omnipods. And then I also paid just a certain amount each month to be able to get the, um, medication as well, the Subucortef to be able to add to the pump. Um, but it was only the initial like time that I had to get the pump that it was more expensive just because then you're paying for like the PDM to be able to operate it and such. And then after that, the price drastically lowered once I had already been established and didn't need all of those (laughs) new user documentation and things (laughs) like that. Um, and I think you said part of the, um, the reason why the insurance company were willing to contribute to it because they knew you were a risk going to the ER and paying for you that way. So it was either we manage her better. And I think it's incredible that really they took a chance on something that there's not a lot of research on and it's not a common practice and it's something that's being used off label. So, so that's, that's very, very much a blessing that you've received that you've been able to experience that in such, you know, in just a very short period of time. I mean, you've only been diagnosed like four and a half years, right? So you're still at the very start of your journey. So, um, so once you started on the pump, how did things change once you started? So things drastically changed. I remember texting my mom, I want to say within the first 24 hours that I finally felt like the old Haley um, and kind of felt like I had this new energy level, new life coming for me kind of thing. And I remember it kind of being like prior to diagnosis, probably my freshman year of college, I just had that energy, felt like I could do things. Although I still on the pump have those days that I don't necessarily have the energy. It also just made me feel more comfortable on a daily basis, knowing that like, all right, you forget your medication, you have it continually going through you kind of thing, or all right, you had an extra stress, let's add some more medication kind of thing. But knowing that I was getting medication throughout a 24 hour time frame rather than just at like the 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. time frame that people might typically take their medication at. No, you're right. When you start on the pump, when you start to feel that continuous supply of, of cortisol being, you know, infused into your body, it's really incredible. And that was one of the most, my favorite thing about your story is hearing you say that you feel like you're kind of like your old self again, that Haley was coming back and that hope that that gives. And that's, you know, something that a lot of people with adrenal insufficiency start to lose that hope. And I think it's very important for them to hear you say that there is hope out there, that there is progress that can be made. And for you, that's what the infusion pump did for you. And that's what it did for me as well. And 
knowing, like you said, we, you still have bad days. You still have low days, but I think you feel that they're managed a lot better in comparison to when you were first diagnosed, which keeps you safe, keeps your body strong, keeps your quality of life as best as it can be and keeps you from going back into a scary adrenal crisis. Right. And at least it doesn't, you know, hundred percent prevent them, but I think it drastically reduces them because our bodies are strong all the time, right? Like we're, I think we're stronger having that, you know, more natural supply of of hydrocortisone. Um, Now you have some very unique um, precautions in place for your, your medical conditions. Um, You're diagnosed as a diabetic. um, What did we say about four years ago? Uh, Two years ago. Two years ago. Okay. Um, Haley also has a diabetic alert dog. Could you tell us about your dog and how that functions, you know, for your diabetes, your low blood sugar, but also how your dog has helped you with your Addison's disease as well? For sure. So I got a diabetic alert service animal through Diabetic Alert Dogs of America. Um, Her name is Aurora. Um, and she's been my saving grace, everything that's helped me throughout the diagnosis and throughout other diagnosis. Um, but I'm also someone who's when my blood, my blood sugar, sorry, go low, my cortisol levels also seem to go low with it as well. Although that's not always the case. It is majority of the case for me. Um, and so she was trained for diabetes specifically and being able to alert to low and high blood sugar levels. Um, just due to Addison's disease not being super common and them not necessarily knowing how to get medical alert dogs for Addison's disease, but she has also learned how to pick up on her um, on my cortisol levels as well. Um, and so she'll give me a paw um, for when my blood sugars are low, or, low and or high, and I'll test for that to see if they're low or high. And I also have a continuous glucose monitor as well that checks that. Um, and then she'll lay on me or jump on me completely um, when my cortisol levels are low. And that's something that she's learned herself. And we have done some like samples of when I was low, I would let her smell it kind of thing. And that's how she picked up on it. Um, But she's definitely been my saving grace and kind of that miracle that's happened to continue to keep me safe on a daily basis as well. No, I think that's incredible. And, And we hear a lot of stories of people just with their regular dogs, picking up on low cortisol symptoms as well and giving them signals when they know something's not right. So, um, you know, the fact that your dog's highly trained for low blood sugar and has been able to just translate that for you is absolutely amazing. And that was with the Diabetic Alert Dogs of America. And perhaps maybe we all should email them. (laughs) I recommend that, you know, all of a sudden they get all these hundreds of emails from people saying, hey, we want Addison's dogs. Can you do cortisol dogs to us too? It's all about demand. So you never know, right? So um, but I think it's definitely something that could be an option one day. And I hope one day will be an option for people with Addison's disease as well. Um, now you, I know you also have other precautions in place. You have the emergency kit and I know you have wonderful support from your family and friends that check on you, you know, on a daily basis, just to make sure things are good and that, um, that you're healthy and that everything's okay with you. For sure. So my mom, checks on me every morning to make sure um, my husband's currently deployed right now. And so otherwise he would be the one kind of checking on in on me, but my mom 
definitely checks in on me every single morning just to make sure I'm okay. Um, nothing has happened. And if she hasn't heard from me, she'll text me again. And if she doesn't hear from that text, then she'll give me a call kind of thing as well. So no, I think that's great. And um, like you said, because your husband's deployed, just have those extra precautions in place. And it sounds like you guys have a little system. You know, if, if you don't get back to me, I'm going to assume something's wrong and we're going to look into it further just, just to be on the safe side, right? Because something could possibly happen. Now, there's another reason why, you know, we want to make sure you're okay too. Do you want to share with us why we want to make sure you're nice and healthy and that you are okay? <laughs> Yes. So I'm also, uh, I'll be 14 weeks pregnant tomorrow. Um, I had gone to doctors kind of thing. And with Addison's, they didn't know necessarily if I would be able to have a healthy pregnancy, be able to get pregnant super easily kind of thing. Um, but my doctors have been super amazing throughout the whole pregnancy so far and have told me all of the precautions already. I want to say when I first found out of like, all right, you have Addison's disease, we're going to do this, this and this at labor and delivery kind of thing. Um, so that's been super comforting and then doing the research and knowing like, all right, we need to get her cortisol throughout the delivery and things like that as well. And because of my Addison's diagnosis, I won't go past 36 weeks. Um, and they have that kind of in place and different measures and not just my OB knows, but all the OBs at the office know. And it's been super great knowing like the amount of effort that they're putting into my diagnosis and my health and making sure me and my child are both safe and healthy. No, and that's incredible. And you're only 14 weeks and they've already started kind of the wheels turning for you. And I think what's amazing as well is that what you're doing now, you're, yes, it's a rare illness, but they might come across somebody else one day with Addison's disease who wants to, who's starting a family. And, you know, they're going to have that experience of having you advocating for yourself and um, that experience already. And it's just going to help somebody else. And I think sometimes when we're in that moment, we don't realize how we're helping people in the future. And I really think you're doing that which is absolutely incredible because like I said, I think it's amazing. You're 14 weeks pregnant and they've already talked to you about all these things and, and the steroids and they're starting to look and they're starting to plan, which I'm going to assume is going to help decrease your stress levels. It makes you feel more comforting and, you know, it, and that's going to make you manage your illness and your pregnancy that much better because it's taking that stress um, away from you right now. So that's really super important. And with your husband being gone and, you know, and all that stuff, you know, it's great that you have, you know, you have the dog, you have your family and you have the support. Um, it sounds like you have a, an amazing support system all the way around, right from your, you know, your, the medical community and to your family and friends. So that's, that's very encouraging. So, um, so is there anything else that you can think of in, you know, since your diagnosis with Addison's disease, anything more about your story that you would like to share with us today? I would just say, live life to the best that you can each day kind of thing. I am a mental health therapist as well. But there's definitely those harder days and those days that you feel like, oh, my gosh, why is this happening to me? How can I continue to like carry on kind of thing? And if you go at it in a positive manner, that's something that's definitely helped me to continue to grow and kind of continue to take each and every diagnosis that I get sort of thing, because it started with, for me, with celiac disease, and then it was Addison's disease, and then it was Graves' disease, papillary carcinoma, which is thyroid cancer, 
And then last, the diabetes kind of thing. So really just taking it and being able to make the most out of it. I would say also advocate for yourself is a huge thing that I've had to learn to do. There's going to be doctors that don't necessarily understand us or doctors who don't care to know what Addison's disease is. I would say go to another doctor, find out what you want. You are the one that knows your body the most, you yeah. know what you need kind of thing. And being able to listen to your body and listen to yourself is really something that's helped me and um, just advocating for those doctors to be like, no, I, I need this. This is what's going to keep me yeah. alive kind of thing. Um, and that's something that I did when I got the pump, like I advocated for the pump. I had doctors previously that had said no. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep finding other doctors kind of thing. And it took a while. It was tiring. It was defeating at times, but it has definitely changed my life and changed my life for the positive and given me a new outlook on life and a new way to kind of live my life. So I would say just continue advocating for yourself, advocate for what you need. You're, you're in your own body, you know what you need the most. So yeah, no, and I'm glad you brought up like the, you know, the mental health um, aspect as well, because it's something that we need to build our toolbox of support in all levels. And, and that really is, you know, a personal responsibility. And we need we need that support. We need that support for ourselves and, and taking care of ourselves mentally and advocating for ourselves. And if we don't like it, you know, yes, it's, and like you said, you, you've had a lot of diagnosis you've had, it's completely legitimate that we can have those bad and possibly dark days, especially if you have low cortisol, it doesn't help. And, uh, and, but acknowledging that, that, that is part of the journey that we are on and that's okay. And we can move forward from it. And if we get the right tools in place and learn from each experience, like what you have, you're going to move forward and you are moving forward at a very inspirational and fast rate with your, you know, your management, you have other things to manage. You're starting a family, you know, right now you're on your own, your husband's deployed, you you live away from your family and, but you are taking care of yourself because you have made that choice. So so thank you so much for sharing with us today. Um, before we wrap things up, is there anything else that you would like to add or share with us? I don't think so. No. Okay. I wanted to make sure I gave you the opportunity that I didn't miss anything there. So thank you so much, Haley, for sharing your inspirational story for us. And I truly and greatly appreciate all our guests here in the pickle jar. And if you are interested in sharing your journey with us, please send me an email at thepicklejar at rogers.com. And until next time, please be well, my pickles. Oh, Haley, thank you so much for sharing with us and coming into the pickle jar with me and being episode 100. I truly appreciate your story. I appreciate the inspiration and the hope that I know you are giving to our audience listening. And that is truly priceless. So thank you so much. Now, after we recorded yesterday's episode, I spent some time driving and I've really connected lately with the Katy Perry song, Roar. It's really, it's really added inspiration to my fight and it's been very parallel to my journey. And as I was listening to that song and listening to the lyrics, um, the lyrics came up, you held me down, but I got up and I had this vision of Haley in the ICU boot, in, in the ICU bed so near to death, so sick in that adrenal crisis. They're looking for answers. I could feel her. I could feel that crisis with her. And then I could also feel the fear of her family. 
and, you know, being told that she might not make it through the night and just trying to understand how scary that that must have been. And then as the song progressed and it went into the lyrics, I got the eye of the tiger, a fighter dancing through the fire. Like that's Haley. That's her journey. She's giving us hope. She's only 26 years old. She's been through so much and she has taken this illness and the other obstacles she's been given through her health. And she has taken personal responsibility for them and she is not giving up. She is a fighter and she is that champion. She's got the eye of the tiger. And I think it's just an, an amazing example for all of us. And I can tell you, it has relit that fight in me to see how much she is fighting for herself and her positive attitude and everything that she is doing to move forward and have an amazing life. And I also wanted to point out how important it is to have that support in your life. You know, Haley mentioned numerous times throughout her interview and her time in the pickle jar, you know, the blessing she's been giving and that been given, and that's the love and support of her family. And that makes all the difference in the world. It, it adds fuel to our fire. It validates how we feel. And I've heard so many times I've read in the Facebook groups, I've heard, you know, I've talked to people with Addison's disease that don't have that support that don't have that validation. I didn't have that validation for, um, for most of my illness and it makes such a huge difference. So if you're not getting that validation in your life, I want you to be able to get it here in the pickle jar because your fight is real. It's the things that you are feeling are valid. It is, it is a hard fight, but you can do it. And Haley's story has given us that hope and that inspiration. And like I said, she has lit that fire back up for me. Um, so listen to the Katy Perry song and think about your journey. So again, some of the lyrics, um, cause I am a champion and you are going to hear me roar. So if you're having one of those days where you're just like, I don't have any roar left, there's just nothing left I can give to this illness. And you feel very defeated, find a song, find something that can light that fire in you to remind you who you are, that you are a fighter, that on those days where you feel like that, you are fighting the hardest and you are really the strongest you are on those days because you're going to get through the day. Um, and then another lyric I wanted to mention too was, I went from zero to my own hero. And again, I picture Haley, you know, at the start, so sick, so weak. And then she, she went to her own hero. And that was because she made that choice and she had the support of her family. So Haley, thank you again for sharing with us. Thank you for making a difference in my life. And I know you've made a difference in the lives of our audience and our listeners and people, you know, from the 55 countries that are tuning in now. And um, I just cannot thank you enough.